I'm having you read these for us. Um, maybe what I'll do is I'll pass the mic around, but it's not just because I'm tired of reading or I haven't like a slow morning. It actually builds to the purpose of what I would like to talk about and what leadership is about and what church is about and all those kind of good things. So what we're going to do is we're going to have the first person read their section and then we're just going to take a couple of quick thoughts like, what do you get from that? And then we're going to build on it. And they're all going to build. They're all going to build. And that'll be the end. You know, we get all eight scriptures out into the air, into this place, into our minds. And then I'll try to wrap it up together. But this is something we're going to build together. So I'll get the microphone ready. First one is Matthew 4. All right. And this way people at home can hear as well. Whenever you're ready. So Matthew 4, 18 to 22, Jesus calls his first disciples. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon and Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, and they were fishermen. For they were fishermen, excuse me. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And once they left their nets and followed them. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Okay, perfect. Familiar scripture. What are we seeing that's happening here? Very simply, what's going on? Trust? Okay, good. What else? That feels like the key point in it, right? It's not necessarily that they were fishermen. They could have been doing anything. Jesus is being Jesus. They follow. It's that immediately they dropped their nets and followed. So part of discipleship, part of apostleship, part of our being Christians is this immediate following. He didn't leave them where they were. Okay, let's read the second one. Who had the second one? This is Matthew 10. All right, Peter. I think you are. Matthew 10, 1 through 8. All right. Matthew 10, 1 through 8. And he called unto them his twelve disciples. He gave them the power, he gave them power against unclean spirits and cast them out, and to heal all manners of sickness and all manners of diseases. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the publican, James, the son of Al... something? <laughs> Perfect. And um, Lebanon? I'm no good at reading. Don't worry about them, man. They're tough names. Go for it. Whose surname is... Thaddeus? Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Ascaria, who, is also, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go unto the way of Galilee, into the way of the Gentiles, sorry, and unto any city of the Sumerians, enter ye not. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and go and as ye go preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the leper, rise the dead, Cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. Okay, 
Perfect. So this we have not just the fishermen now. We have the whole 12. And what is happening with the 12? They're being commissioned to do what sorts of things? Miraculous. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's not just a teaching ministry. Let's notice that, right? Miraculous. Physical action. Where does he send them? Ooh, excellent way to put it, right? Go to the people you're not as comfortable around and get out of where the, the place where you are. Go, right, right. So we know it's not just the two or the four. It's the 12. There is this very predictable pattern with Jesus. He calls people into his mission and it requires them to move, it requires them to do these sorts of things. So let's keep adding to it. Kayla, what's our next one? It was Luke 10, 1 through 9. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others, and he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. He told them, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't carry a money bag, traveling bag, or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the road. Whatever house you enter first, say peace to this household. If a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what, the other, what they offer. For the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't be moving from house to house. When you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. Okay. So what do we see here? How many are getting sent out this time? Yep, 70 or 72, depending on the translation. So a larger number. Where are they supposed to go? Okay, yeah. Everywhere. Gives them advice on how to like enter a town, where to stay. Verse 9, what are they supposed to do? Yeah. Heal the sick and teach them about the kingdom. Okay, we're going to keep adding to it. Keep adding to it. Sandra. Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Yes. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, This harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his field. All right. What stands out to us from these verses? What's new? What's more? What's similar? Pray? Yeah, brings in prayer for sure. What else? Ah, there's so much work to be done and so few to do it. That's awesome. Yes. I like the word compassion in that one. 
He cares. It's because he cares. Jesus isn't some sort of like business leader starting a campaign. (laughs) He has something that can help people and he cares about people and so he wants to help. All right, and we see in the first verse there, 35, went throughout which cities and villages? Yeah, oh. All right, it's a consistent message here. Sharon, I think you're next, right? Luke 22, 24 to 27. Okay. Also, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those, whose, those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not like to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. Who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Is that it? I was looking at you instead of my notes here. 27, yes. I am among you as one who serves. So how does this add to what we've been reading? Ah, okay, yeah, humility, right, right. Yeah, right, right. Kind of glad they were confused because then he had this moment to say it clearly so we could get like the specific answer. They didn't have that until they asked, but we have that, just a specific answer. So, you know, making fishes of men, going out into every uh, city, healing, all these things could easily feel like you're the ones that have got the thing. Everybody else doesn't have the thing. So you go tell them what's, what it's all about. Bring them under you, right? Under your leadership, under your tutelage, under your healing ministry, that sort of thing. But really, that's a reversal. Jesus is saying you're to go out and just find whoever you can serve. That's what the kingdom is about. You're not to be great. You are to serve, and Jesus served in the biggest ways. He is the greatest. So yeah, it's important that we add this into our understanding of what it means to be a disciple. All right, Matthew 28, Corey, 16 through 20, please. Both went to Galilee, to the mountain, to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Perfect. So what does this add to our understanding this morning? Yep, we're not on our own. You didn't send us out on our own. That's good. I like that it said that some of them doubted. We all doubt sometimes. Jesus is patient with that. That's probably where he has compassion on us. 
How do, you, how do you feel about this? We're going to talk about it more next week because Doubting Thomas is the last of the apostles that we're going to focus on. So we'll let that thought kind of hold maybe for a week and dig into it more. But you feel like it's okay to doubt? Or do you feel guilty when you doubt? Does Satan work on that and get the doubts like all spinning in your head and it's hard to have faith? Is it hard to pray? Like doubt is this thing. But if it happened to these dudes who saw everything that they did, we can just recognize it's going to be one of our temptations as well. And if we see what God did with them despite it, Thomas himself, like, it's, it's the normal experience. <laughs> Whether we can decide that it's a good thing or God just uses it, or we'll, we'll delve into that more next week. But don't be afraid of doubt. Just recognize it. Okay, that's what we're up to today. We're up to a little doubt battle. Awesome. Let's step into it and see what God will do. I, I like that that's in there at this point. They're seeing Jesus resurrected and still have doubts. Yeah, forgiveness. It is about forgiveness. That's awesome. Mm-hmm, right. Yeah, that's a command. It's one of the few things Jesus said, you have to do this. This is another one. We do this because he said to do it. Baptism, we use that symbolism because he said so. Good. Church in the 50s and 60s, it was all about say that sinner's prayers, say ah. that sinner's prayer. And so we, we go from that. That isn't making disciples. Mm. Um, we have to walk alongside something. Mm. Yeah. We're actually, it's funny you say that. We're going to read Acts next, but the Romans one, who has the last one? I the Costello girls. Uh, that's where it says, you know, confess with your mouth and you will be saved. So that's true. But taken by itself, it would make you feel like all you need to do is just say, yeah, Jesus is Lord, and that's it. And that's not what we see. That's why I need to read the whole Bible, read the whole New Testament, read everything that Jesus said, read a whole gospel, read chunks of scripture. Because when you read one thing, it's like, oh, well, this is simple. Yeah, Jesus is God. And then I go and live my life how I want. But that's not a disciple. <laughs> but what does it mean to be a disciple? That's what we're kind of grasping at here. Whatever he did for them, that must be the definition of disciple. They were the first 12, and then they replicated what he taught them to the rest of the world. So we're observing the model. This is Jesus. This is the model that he gave us. We're observing it as we read. All right, let's read the next one. Acts 1, 1 through 8. All right. Oh, is this on? Okay, it's on. I'm reading the amplified version, just so you know, so it's going to be pretty different from probably what you're reading. Okay. Um, the first account I made, Theophilus, was a continuous report about all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he ascended to heaven, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given instruction to the apostles, special messengers, whom he had chosen. To these men, he also showed himself alive after his suffering by a series of many infallible proofs and unquestionable demonstrations, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and talking to them about the things concerning the kingdom of God. While being together and eating with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, of which, he said, you have heard me speak. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized and empowered and united with the Holy Spirit not long from now. So when they had come together, they asked him repeatedly, Lord, are you at this time reestablishing the kingdom and restoring it to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, 
but you will receive power and ability when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses to tell people about me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. Perfect. What else does this add to our conversation? For those that might not know, I think probably many of us have heard this already, so forgive the repetition, but just to conceptualize, like picture a map of this area in verse 8. Jerusalem is a city, so picture, you know, like Brockton or something, a city. Judea is a county, so figure like Bristol County. Samaria is the next county over, so I don't know, whatever the next county is over from us, Middlesex County or something, whatever, the neighboring county and then to the ends of the earth. So when Jesus is sending out his disciples, it's sequential, meaning to start right with where they are. Start in your city. And so this has often been preached from the perspective of, we'll give up everything and become a missionary to Africa, but we won't talk to our next door neighbor about Jesus. <laughs> we'll go and be a pastor in a church, but we don't talk to our kids at home about Jesus. Like, Well, don't start anywhere except for at home. Start where you are and then build. Then you become credible. You become authentic because you just are where you are, but you're not trying to stop there either. It's this expanding thing that starts local and goes worldwide. Those places are very important to kind of picture them on a map. All right, we are in Romans 10, 9 through 17. All right, Romans 10, 9 through 17. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear with, without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Perfect. So what jumps off the page here? I love it. The more thoughts, the better, sister. Yes, please. Yeah, Peter. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is. And I love that that stood out to you today because you were the one to share about the things going on in your missional community. And it just shows that you understand that helping more people is a means to an end and a part of a greater peace because the real goal and the ultimate good is that we'd be preaching the good news because it's very possible to do lots of good activities and not have a result in us drawing closer to God and not have a result in anyone else drawing closer to God. And then it was just like a nice waste of time. It was a beautiful, lovely, helpful non-God-honoring activity. It doesn't make it evil, but it's not like the thing. It's not all the way there. So I love that you shared all the things happening and also just feel and recognize faith is about hearing it. And so in our clothing closets and in our raking sessions and whatever, some sort of word of Christ should get into there in those conversations. Otherwise, we're halfway there, but not all the way. I'm with you. I'm with you. And Jesus, when he sent out his disciples, it wasn't one thing, right? It was teach about the kingdom and do healings and cast out demons and do miracles and help. Like it was this long list of things. And we see it again here. There's like a heart part and there's a speaking part. There's a word of Christ part. There's a physical going, like an activity sort of thing. I, I couldn't quote the whole quote, but I heard a quote once from C.S. Lewis where he was asked what he thought the like, most dangerous risk was uh, or the greatest danger to Christianity. And he said something, and I don't know if this is exactly the word he chose. It's, it's right on the, the thought, if it's not the exact word. He said, uh, oversimplification. Where we simplify something that's so complicated into like one point. And we could do that with God is love. We could do that with faith is believing. We, all these points can be right, but it's not right to oversimplify <laughs> because it's many things. It's complex. Are you going to say, well, here's the one thing that God is? No. This is the one thing that Jesus said to do? No. So we can summarize maybe, you know, love summarizes a bunch of things, um, but let's keep it complicated. 
let's keep it multifaceted, complex, and not just feel like, oh, well, I prayed this morning, so therefore my day is done. Is prayer the only thing we're called to? Or I read my Bible this morning, or I had a Bible study, so therefore I'm good. Well, maybe there's someone that you should help. Maybe there's someone who you need to pray for healing for later that day. Maybe there's some quiet time you need to spend with the Lord. There's all these wonderful, beautiful things, and they all go together. So let's not oversimplify. We clearly see Jesus was calling his disciples to go and do stuff. It's not just one thing. And even love God and love your neighbor. It's the greatest. It's the best summary of all of it. But it's almost an oversimplification in some ways, too. Because if you were to say, how do you love God? It's not one thing. (laughs) So it's one summary of all the ways you can love God. Parents, I just love your kids. Teach them about God. You're loving God by how you pour into your kids. High schoolers, like... Stand up for the things that you believe in when it's hard to do. You're actually loving God in that moment by drawing a line and saying, I just don't want to cross that line, right? We're loving God through saying a prayer before a meal. We're loving God by saying, I don't know what to do. Let's call a fellow Christian. Let's ask for some advice. Let's pray together. It's many, many, many things. And so we don't want to simplify I want to try to comprehend it, but don't make it too simple. It's meant to be a mystery. It's meant to be mystery. The point of all of this, and these are all the scriptures we're going to read, so you've kind of heard everything that the Word of God has to say on this single point. The thing that stands out to me most, and what I would like to encourage you to think about, is that we call it following Jesus. But really, Jesus was not training people how to be followers as much as he was training people how to be leaders. He was making leaders, and they're all following him. We're following him, but in the world, he's training people to be leaders. Not to follow what the world would say, what the world would do, not to just get onto a bandwagon, even of all the other what Christians are doing, but just to say, God, what are you going to have me do? And in that moment, if God is speaking to one individual Christian, you become a trailblazer. You become first in line as you're following Christ in that way. And that's a leadership skill. Jesus was training leaders who were equipped to go out and heal the sick. Right? not just go and find a healing ministry that they could join. He was training them to go out and preach the gospel, not necessarily just find a good church that they could join. Initiative. Authority. Go, I send you. You're the ones who are going to go out. And this is like a very subtle sort of thing that can get flipped on its head when we become Christians, we become followers, but we end up like just joining a church, joining a Bible study, joining the faith. And that's all true, so don't get me wrong. But actually, God wants to speak to us individually and send us out as initiators in the world. So maybe like Paul, where he spent some time with the disciples, he was learning and he was growing, but then he branched out. He knew what God was calling him to do, and he he trailblazed away to the Gentiles. All these disciples, they get sent out, and Jesus is with them, but he was asking them to go and pave the way into the place that all, into all the places, how Luke says it, I think, go into all the places where Jesus is about to enter into all the towns and cities where Jesus is about to enter. So we go and we make straight the way. We make smooth the way for the Lord. We're like pointing ourselves into places where Jesus wants to go 
and we step right in and we open the door and we like introduce whoever is there to Christ. We, we represent him. We make inroads. But that's leadership stuff. And ultimately, I want that to be our vision for what church is. That we're not trying to build a larger following, i.e. have a bigger church. What we're looking to do is train more leaders who will go out and initiate the kingdom of God into all the cities and towns where you go. Church should be leadership training. Apprenticeship should be leadership training so that we're not perpetually following someone else who followed Christ. We need people to come alongside us, and we need peers forever. So it's not a solitary thing I'm advocating here. It's an initiative thing. And whether that happens in our missional communities where we gather together as a group of peers and say, I think God is leading us, and it's a we statement. Beautiful, awesome. But it may be different. You know, the pictures shared before, L Street may be the perfect place for that group of folks to be led, and it may not be at all the place where God leads others of us to go. That sounds like the apostle. That's good. Go to all the cities and villages, wherever God may lead you. This is what I would love for us to kind of consider for ourselves. Where are we in our walk with the Lord? Have we sat and thought about the places that he's given us compassion for and the people he's given us compassion for? I was talking with someone this past week and we were kind of discussing the the role that abortion plays in politics and in voting. And we were talking about the role that it plays in Christianity, right? And you kind of think about the it as like a, a fact and a statistic and think about it as a moral issue, think about it as policy. It has these kind of like overlapping elements to it. Um, but one of the points that we thought was important to make is that it shouldn't be an issue that we're passionate about once every four years. It should be a passionate we're, an issue we're passionate about every four years, but it also should be something we're passionate about for years two, three, and four of whatever president we have until we get to the next voting cycle, right? It, it, and there is a tendency that we have to be vocally passionate about things, but then not know how, perhaps, to get our hands involved in helping with the things that we're passionate about. So that requires initiative. And that requires each of us to say, God, what are you putting on my heart? What should I do in this world as you send me out to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria? Homelessness, I don't even need to list the whole list. The issues that are in the world are many. And Jesus even said, you'll always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. So there's no shortage of places we could serve. But I think what Jesus is looking for is leaders who follow him, but who lead others. There's a quote that my wife gave to me, I think perhaps a Father's Day years ago. I don't remember the exact holiday. Could have been a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday. There's a quote that hangs down in my office that is by John Holt. And I wanted to read it because as I was thinking about these scriptures and wanting us to see ourselves as leaders even though a disciple by definition is a follower, he says it well. He says, leaders are not, as we are often led to think, people who go along with huge crowds following them. And read that again. Leaders are not, 
as we are often led to think, people who go along with huge crowds following them. Leaders are people who go their own way without caring or even looking to all, looking to see whether anyone is following them. I'll read that one again too. Leaders are people who go their own way without caring or even looking to see whether anyone is following them. True leaders, in short, do not make people into followers, but into other leaders. True leaders, in short, do not make people into followers, but they make them into other leaders. That's what Jesus did. He didn't just make a bunch of followers that were mindless. They were like leaders. They, were lead, they stepped out into the world. They planted churches. They spoke to people. Now, we need you high school students to be leaders in your school. We need you to break into that place and initiate as leaders. Whether there's a Bible study on campus, whether there's any other believers that you know, whether there, if there's someone sick, then you're the Christian there. And, and a leader says, this is what needs to be done, or this is what I see, I have compassion, there's something I could pray, someone I could pray for. You girls, Costellos have shared with me over the past couple of years, and people have died in your school, there have been all sorts of struggles, just put it mildly. Well, like, you're God's girls there. So be a leader in that. So if the church does a bad job of training us, you'd be like, well, I don't know what I could do. Because then you've been made into a follower by the church. I go to church. I will ask someone what I should do. But if the church has helped you to experience God and you know God directly, then you can say, I feel God leading me to do this. And then maybe share it with the church or call an older brother or sister in Christ and say, I was thinking this. I feel like God might be wanting me, like that, that initiative, that leadership, that will turn us all into leaders. In our workplace, it takes initiative to think about the people that look down and say, well, what could I pray for them or what could I bring into them to lift their spirits? That's initiative. And if we're following only, then we're going to be waiting for the next initiative to kind of come down the pike so we can join in. But if Jesus, the ultimate leader, is making us into leaders, then we will see the opportunities and we will step into them and bring others with us, or not. <laughs> a true leader, in short, isn't checking to see how many people do I have who liked my post. Like, this is what I want to do. I'm just going to go and do it. Oh, people liked it? Awesome. I just felt like it was what, it's just a go. And so this is my kind of challenge to us as we embrace this missional perspective on church. It's one of the things I like most about it is that autonomy is given, initiative is shared between every different pocket of Christians. What will God say to you to do? What will we as a body learn from you as you follow Christ? Like These are the sorts of things that we can accomplish and ultimately will look very much like the 12 disciples who just said, go out and then come back and report to me. Go out and I will be with you. How can they hear unless someone has gone? Let's pray for healing. Let's cast out demons. Let's teach the good news. Let's preach the word of Christ. Let's help the poor. And I'll be with you. And then we come back and say, wow, look at what the kingdom is doing out in our world. So I, I want to say a prayer over you to this effect. We're going to close in, in a song. But I'd like to pray for God to anoint you and to bless you as leaders in the world. And I would like you to really reflect this week. I myself want to reflect on what it looks like for us to see the world as if it's our mandate. And to listen to God's spirit and say, what are you saying? And then have initiative to pursue it. I think the best def definition of disciples actually 
a leader, a servant leader of Christ, one with Christ, abiding in him, and then stepping out to do whatever he says. So please let me pray for you in that way as we close this morning. Dear Jesus, thank you for taking initiative on our behalf, sacrificing yourself so that we may be saved. Thank you for the risk that you felt, that you took. Thank you for what it cost you and for your determination and your compassion in not giving up all the way through to the end. I pray for these people joined virtually, these people in person, for myself, for our families. May we be initiators and leaders. May we not be followers of anything other than you, Christ. Point us in the direction and then tell us to go. Open our eyes to see the needs around us. Give us opportunity to love one another and love the world well. May we just take these commands of yours to go and to initiate. May we take them seriously and may we act upon them this week. We pray for every conversation we will have this week. Show us the, the moments where you would like to enter in. Bring scriptures to our mind. Show us who to pray for. Uh, show us whom to pray with. And may your kingdom grow as you send us out to help it grow this week. And we pray in Jesus' name.